Well, just take one look around this platform. Isn't this amazing? I don't mean me. I mean this, right? <laughs> look at this Rubik's Cube, a life-size Rubik's Cube. Oh, my goodness. I challenge Steve Van Horn. Where are you? He's going to be on one. I'm going to get on the other. We'll see who can solve the problem first, right? No, but look at that. I mean, monkey in a barrel. I mean, come on. This is amazing. The chess pieces, king and queen over there. Um, amazing Scrabble. That's a sketch. Uh, this is just amazing. And this is what our VBS is all about. Our, we have such a, an amazing team of people. This is our creative team who put this, all these things together. Your, uh, your kids, if they come for VBS, this is what they'll experience. We believe in creating an environment where kids can enjoy it, have fun. Why? Because we believe that Jesus laughed when he was here on earth. He enjoyed life. We don't talk a whole lot about that, but he did. He just enjoyed life. And we want kids to show up here and we want them to understand that God loves them. And we have an amazing volunteer team of adults who are going to be declaring God's love over these kids um, in a week from tomorrow. We have only 60 spots left in our afternoon session. If you have not invited kids that you know that fall in that kindergarten to going into sixth grade space, invite them. There's only 60 spaces left. Invite them to come that they can be a part of that afternoon session where they'll have fun like this. I know that one of the rooms has a life-size operation game in it. it? I mean, this is it's just amazing what, what's going on here. So, so grateful for this creative team. Can we give it up for the creative team who does stuff like this? Well, we're going to uh, jump in uh, to we, uh, this series. Um, we are talking about drama. We're talking about drama because it affects all of us. We're talking about drama because it will suck the best of us into it. And if you have ever sat down to stream a series, you know what that's like, don't you? It's like episode one. Pull you in. Episode two, develop the plot, develop the characters. But it's episode three. Every, it doesn't matter if you're doing this on Netflix, Apple TV. It doesn't matter how you're streaming your series. Everyone will follow this formula. By episode three, they thicken the plot with drama. And it's like, hook, you're hooked. You thought you were a responsible adult, Right? <laughs> You, you see the timer ticking down. And it, every one of them does this now. They, they have a timer. After the episode ends, there's a timer there counting down to zero. And, it, you know, whatever it starts at, 10 or 15, you know, it's counting down to zero. And you look at your spouse and you're like, they just put a, a, a bag over Jack's head. What, let's just watch the first five minutes of the next episode and let's see what's going to happen, right? And then you make this commitment, but you're only going to do it for five minutes. That's it. We're not watching another episode. Five minutes. We'll commit to five minutes. And you start the series. You start the next episode, right? And before you know it... Your whole responsible adult thing's out the window. It's midnight. It's a work night. you got to get up in the morning, right? And you're like, oh, I can't believe I did this. That's what drama does. It just sucks you in. It pulls you in in life. And so what we're doing in this teaching series, right from the scriptures, we, we've entitled this series Drama King because we're looking at the kings of the Old Testament, the kings who ruled over the Jewish 
people. And in, we're going to learn from them. Some of them, some of the kings created drama. Some of them had to respond to drama. And some of them just totally gets sucked in to drama. The big idea for today, here's what we want us uh, to, to learn today, that drama works itself into the lives of the best people. And that is no different in this the Emperor's New Groove with Cusco's. Take a watch. Ah, uh, your highness. I'm here because I received a summons to... Hey, there he is, my main village man. Um, Pacha. Uh, anyway, I, I got this summons. Pacha. That's right, you are just the man I wanted to see. I am? Word on the street is you can fix my problem. You can fix my problem, can't you? Sure, I'll... Do what I can. Good, good. That's just what I wanted to hear. Are you aware of just how important your village is to the Empire? Well, I know we grow the crops that you use here at the palace. We also herd the llamas that you... My village? Oh, yeah. You got a pretty sweet little setup there on top of that hill, don't you? <laughs> yeah, my family has lived on that hilltop for the last six generations. Uh-huh. So tell me... Where do you find you get the most sun? Oh, I'd say just on the other side of those trees. When the sun hits that ridge just right, these hills sing. Well, that settles it. Really? Yep, problem solved. Thanks for coming. That's it? That's all you wanted me for? I just needed an insider's opinion before I okayed this spot for my pool. Uh, your pool? Booyah! Welcome to Cusco-topia, my ultimate summer getaway, complete with water slot. What? Isn't it great? It's my birthday gift to me. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, 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 I don't understand how this could happen. Well, let me clear it up for you. At my birthday celebration tomorrow, I give the word, and your town will be destroyed to make way for this. <laughs> So, if I were you, I'd pick up some change of address forms on the way home. But, but, um, where will we live? Hmm. Don't know, don't care. How's that? Oh, but wait, you can't... When I give the word, your little town thingy will be... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, everything was going my way. That's what happens when we get sucked into drama. All of a sudden it becomes about us and whatever we want and whatever we um, are desiring. And this morning, what we want to see is that drama works itself into lives of the best people. And you and I are no exception. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person in South County and not a person online where we are an exception to the rule when it comes to drama. And here's what we want to do. We're going to look at the second king over Israel uh, today, and it's King David. 
And in King David's life, there was no other king that had the character that David had. In fact, I want to take the first just couple of minutes to set this up to help you to understand the kind of character that David had, the kind of person that he was. He was had impeccable character up to this point. And here, I want to point out just one theme of his character. Notice in 1 Samuel 16, don't, don't turn there. Um, by the way, let me say this. Last week, I heard from several of you. You are covering way too much ground. So I'm going to try and correct that this week. I know I was going to all, you know, we were, we were covering a lot of ground. We're going to try and do better this week. So 1 Samuel 16, um, just the overview. David's is a young teen. His destiny is revealed to him as a teenager. I keep this in mind that as a teenager, he understands that he's going to become the next king. Can you go back in your mind? Some of you students, you know what it's like to wait. Some of you adults have never learned yet what it's like to wait, right? You just want it and you go for it. But I remember when I was getting, um, when I was becoming of legal age to drive. But, you know, I couldn't wait to drive until I was legal age. And God knew that about me. God found favor. He moved us to Albuquerque, New Mexico. When I was 13, students, when I was 13, I got to get my motorcycle license and drive legally on the road in 13 in Albuquerque. Don't know if they still do that, but um, back in the day, they let us do that. And then when I was 14 and six months, I could get my permit as long as I took driver's ed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You may want to consider moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico um, if you're a student, because I couldn't wait. I could not wait to do this. Right. And then I'm calling all my friends up in Indiana saying when I hit 15, I got my license. I'm like, dude, got my license. What do you got? Nothing. Right. Right. So that's what drama does. It sucks you in. Right. And you're like, what do I got? But David understands as a teenager that one day he's going to become king. Last week we saw how David went to work for Saul, the king, the current king of that time there as he's working for Saul. This jealousy comes up. Why? Because David started becoming successful. He became as successful at everything he put his hand to. And now he's a successful warrior. He's leading and has won many battles. And this created that jealousy. Well, at some point, that got so stark between, uh, the tension got so sharp between the two of them, between Saul and David, Saul starts trying to take David's life. And we saw that last week. Now, here's what I want you to understand, that for about seven years... Seven years about, uh, uh, David is on the run for his life. One of these times, uh, Saul shows up into a place called En Gedi. And there he shows up with 3,000 men looking for David to take his life. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David actually spares his life in this area called En Gedi. En Gedi is right near the Dead Sea. Guess what? I got to go to this area. This is what it looks like. It's all desert all around this area. It's literally desert except for one strip. There's one strip that's this um, is the quote the wilderness and has some greenery because there's a river that flows through there. You walk down this path and you will find these amazing waterfalls. But as you are walking and taking a hike back through this area, you will see cliffs up on the side. And on the sides of the cliffs, you will see caves. Saul and his 3,000 men are in this area hunting David down. David gets word. David and some of his men go and hide in some of these caves that are all throughout this area. 
Saul has to go to the bathroom. He goes and he happens to pick uh, one of the bathroom that David and some of his men are hiding in. And, he, and David and his men are far enough back to where the darkness, they are under the cover of darkness. And while David is in there, uh, they, or, I'm sorry, while Saul goes in that cave, uh, David and his, and his men whispers in David's ears, now's your chance. You don't have to wait anymore. Take his life and you become king. And David is so tempted. He goes up there with his dagger in hand. And as he's about ready to, he just cuts a piece of David's robe, of Saul's robe off. And then he steps back. And then notice, notice what happens. This is the character that David had. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him, has chosen Saul to be king. Well, it wasn't too long after that, that David finds himself in another position. Um, the same uh, or a different area, but Saul is encamped with, again, 3,000 of his soldiers. It's nighttime, under the cover of darkness, with ninja-type skills, right? David moves in, and you see this story in 1 Samuel 26, where David spares Saul's life. Again, he shows up, could have taken his life. And instead, he takes some souvenirs from their bodyguards. He takes some souvenirs, and then they take it back. And here was David's perspective. This shows the character that David had. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday or he will die of old age or in battle. Do you catch the theme here? There, David is a man of character. David had, I mean, he is the best of the best. But don't forget that drama, drama works itself into the lives of the best people. And you and I are no exception. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11. So take your Bibles now. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you're in South County, grab your Bibles. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And what we're going to see is that David creates his own drama. Because it can happen to the best of us. So, in verse number 1. In the spring... Of the year when kings normally go out to war. That's so important because normally the kings are out to war during this time. Uh, David sent Joab to the, uh, to, to the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. See what happens when you just veer off just a little bit? we're going to see that drama can sneak into your life in a blink of an eye. And where, when we aren't doing what we normally would do to be Christ followers, I'm going to start talking to the Christ followers in the room. Those of you who follow Jesus, those of you who said, yes, Jesus is my Messiah. He's my Savior. For those of you who believe that, it's so important that we stay connected and stay in fellowship and stay um, loving Jesus. Because when we don't, if we just veer off a little bit, that's a time when Satan will just pounce on us. That's a time we can just find ourselves in trouble. Look what happens late one afternoon. 
after his midday rest. And hey, by the way, may I say all great leaders take an afternoon nap. That's it. Um, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty uh, taking a bath. And then... He just doesn't, he's just not like, oh, oh my gosh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be staring at that, right? No, he sits there and he dwells on it. He thinks about that and he thinks, what if? Who is this? And then he goes and he sends a somebody with a letter, you know, with a note saying, hey, who is it? Who are you? Comes back, find out who, who, who she is. And then he invites her to the palace. And she comes. She comes uh, to the palace. Because what other choice did she have? She didn't have any other choice. She shows up. And there, uh, David, you know, probably prepared a dinner for her. You know, you know, wined and dined her, if you will. And then one thing leads to the next. Until um, they were together. And then she leaves. And when she uh, leaves, after a period of time, she sends a note back to David says, I'm pregnant. And David is like, what? And he says, I know what I'll do. But just stop right there and think about this first. Think about what James tells us about when we're tempted. Here's what he said. James told us this. This is in the New Testament. In James chapter 1. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and then drags us away. You see what David did up on the roof? Notices this beautiful woman. That's not sinful. The temptation was that he went back and dwelled on it. He went back and thought about it. He went back and devised a plan of how he could be with her. There's the temptation. And then he acted on it. And James says this, James tells us that the desires that come from within, that they give birth to sinful actions. And that's exactly what happened in David's life. The best of the best who wouldn't even take. I mean, he was in the waiting to be king and he wouldn't. He had Saul right where he needed him to have to take him out. And he didn't do it. And yet temptation. Remember what Jesus said in the model prayer about temptation? Deliver us from temptation. David didn't pray that. And instead, he dwelled on it. He took action and it gave and it led to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's exactly what happened in the life of David. There were consequences because of his choices that he made. But it gets worse. Just like in a movie. The, 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 the drama thickens. Because now he's like, how do I resolve this problem? Oh, I know. I'll go get her husband off the front lines. And I'll bring him back. And here's what happens. Look what happens. And then David sent word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And so uh, that's Bathsheba's wife, uh, husband. So Joab sent uh, him, Uriah, to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him, 
hey, how's Joab and the army? Uh, how are they getting along and how is the war progressing? Like, like that's what he really wants to know, right? I mean, he doesn't want to know that. But here's what he wants to do. He's like, and then he told Uriah, hey, you know what? You need some time off. Go home. Relax. And David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left uh, the palace, right? He's like giving him movie tickets and dinner gift certificates. Take your wife out for the dinner, right? Take her to the movies and then, you know, spend some time with your wife. Wink, wink. You get what I'm saying? Right? That's what he's saying. But you know, Uriah, he couldn't do that to his brothers, who were fighting on the front line. He wasn't going to do that. He's like, no, if my brothers are out there fighting on the front line, I'm going to at least guard the palace. And he laid there at the gate. He would not go home. David is, what am I going to do now? Now I don't have any way to point the finger away from me. See, that's what sin does. That's what drama does. We like to point the finger at other people. Well, it gets worse. Now David writes this letter. And then letter, uh, the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah. I'm going to send Uriah back to you. Station him on the front lines where the battle is the fierce. And then right in the heat of the moment, pull your army back. Pull your guys back and leave Uriah out there by himself. He's having him executed. Why? So that Bathsheba can become a widow and so that he can have Bathsheba as one of his wives. This is what drama does in our life. Well, he gets confronted about this. He thinks, oh, good, now it's just going to be hush-hush, it's going to go away, solve the problem. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet confronts David about his sin. But, again, the drama just clouds David's perspective because this is what drama does. It clouds our perspective. We can't see clearly when we're in the thick of that. When we are, when we are not asking God to deliver us from our temptations. When we're not confessing. This is what happens. And then Nathan, the prophet who comes from God, tells him this story. It says, and so, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, And so the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little sh- lamb and he, that he had bought. He raised that little lamb. He grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, meaning that he had hundreds, um, he took the poor man's lamb, that one little lamb, and he killed it and he prepared it for his guest. David was furious. And David says this. David says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Then in that silence of that moment, Nathan would look at him and he would say, you are that man. This is what you have done. Nathan tells him this parable, this Old Testament parable, 
to point out a spiritual truth. Because, don't forget, parables are always about pointing out spiritual truths. Here's the spiritual truth. David, you have sinned. And finally, this will bring about a repentance. Not just, God, I'm sorry, but repentance. A 180, a change. To where David would go before God. And in his journal, he would write out Psalms 51, what we know as Psalms 51, which became a, a historical fact in the people of Israel. It became a part of their prayer and songbook. Psalms 51, and look at just the first couple of verses. It's his prayer of confession. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Not because I deserve it. That's what mercy is. Mercy comes because we have a God whose love is unfailing. And he's reminding God, would you find mercy because of who you are? Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Finally, he's getting to the place of true confession. He's got like he's confessing his sin before God. And he says, I recognize my rebellion. I recognize how I have rebelled against you. And notice what he says. It haunts me day and night. It haunts me day and night. That's what drama will do in our life. This is what unconfessed sin will do in our life. It will haunt you day in and day out. You will try and find ways to bring back joy in your life. And it will just take you further down a road that you don't want to go. It happened in David's life. He ended up in a place where... I executed a guy because of, my, because of my lust? Where in the world? It was haunting him. He didn't know what to do with this. That's why he's bringing it to confession. And he says, purify me, in verse 7, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me. He knows God is the only one who can wash him. It's not about anything he can do. It's not about being good enough. Again, it comes back to God's mercy and it's his grace and we don't deserve it and we don't earn it, right? But as he says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. If, if, listen, we all live in New England, right? And we know what that first snowfall is like. Right when it falls all over the ground and like and and nothing has driven on it, no roads have been plowed yet. You, you get that image in your mind, and it's beautiful, isn't that? White snow everywhere. That's, it's a beautiful sight, and here is the imagery that David is pulling up in his mind. Wash me where it's as white when I look out on that first snow of the year, where everything is just covered. It's beautiful. It's clean. God, that's what you can do in my heart. He, and then he says this in verse 8. Give me back my joy again. Why? Because that's what unconfessed sin does. It robs you of your joy. It will suck the life out of you. This is what drama does. It robs you of true Joy. Yo, you're going to try and find happiness as you move from one thing to the next. And you may be happy, you know, for an hour. You may be happy for two hours. You may be happy for a week. But I promise you, it will continue to come back and haunt you until you get to this place. Give me back the joy again. 
I remember the first time. I remember the first time that I realized what I could do with my sin. That I could actually have forgiveness. I remember very clearly this idea. I didn't know what to do with all of this weight that I was feeling because of my sin. And then someone told me about the redemptive power of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers. Have you been offered the redemptive power of Jesus? Or have you received, you've been offered it, have you received the redemptive power of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? You know what it's like to carry around your weight of shame, your weight of guilt. You know what that's like? To lose the joy in life. To lose, to, to lose your happiness and not to know what to do with it. See, God wants to restore you. He wants to restore in your life joy. For some of you, for some of you are Christ followers. And you've lost the joy. Uh, in verse 12, I think it is, he talks about restore the joy of my salvation. See, some of you have experienced the redemptive forgiveness of Jesus of our sins, but you lost it because of unconfessed sin. Confession, this is really a lost art in the world of following Jesus in our culture. We... This was so important. If you were going to follow Jesus in his time, he, gave, he left us a model prayer of how to pray. And in that prayer, he tells us that we need to confess our sins. Do you do this on a daily basis? Between you and God. God, forgive me. Man, I messed up. And then, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Do you pray these types of prayers? If you get out of that habit, you're going to lose the joy of your salvation. Why? Because you're not even going to realize the sin. You're not even going to realize where you are. God calls us to live differently. And it doesn't matter your age. From the youngest person in here to the oldest person in here, you can experience the joy of forgiveness. The joy of the forgiveness of our sins. The joy of salvation being birthed, being new in Jesus. And then... You can be experience the joy, the joy of just having it all forgiven. I don't know what your next step is, but on your connection card um, or in your bulletin, there are three different next steps. Take out your connection card if you're in the Cranston location. It's in the seat in front of you. If you're online, there's a link for you to click for the connection card. If you are in South County, you have a connection card down there. But look at the first next step. It says this. I have never experienced the joy that comes from the redemptive power of Jesus' forgiveness of sins. I need this. Pray for me. This is basically a prayer for salvation. This is like, Jesus, I need your salvation. I need the redemption of, of you in my life. Please save me. That's what you're doing here. If this is where you find yourself, just circle step number one on that connection card. Put your name on there, and this week when our team gathers, we're going to pray for you. But maybe, uh, maybe you are feeling the weight of that even right now that, because you have never taken that step. And if you are, I'm just going to tell you right now, the, the prayer ministers are going to come up during the song. And those prayer ministers would love to pray for you. 
and lead you in a prayer how you can have salvation. They would lead you into a prayer of salvation. Maybe you want to take that, you know, be bold, be courageous, be like, I'm not leaving here until I have the salvation of my soul. Then I would encourage you to come up during that song. The other next step is for Christ followers. It says, I need to own my actions. I need to confess my sin. I need to ask forgiveness from those who it has affected. Why? Because this will suck the joy out of your life. You'll not have joy in your marriage. You're not going to have joy in your relationships. You're not going to have joy in your neighborhood, in your workspace. If you have this, if you're carrying this around, it's a weight. But man, if you just confess it, you can leave it right at the foot of the altar. Right, right between you and Jesus. You just leave it with Him. He, he, we, uh, he wants you to experience that. He said, pray that God gives me the grace to lead in this way. So we want to pray for you. Just put your name on there. And again, this week when our team gathers, we'll be praying for you. The last one says this. If there is drama in my life that I'm not seeing. Why? Because even the best of us get clouded by it. David got clouded by it. He couldn't see it. Pray that God would reveal it to me and that I'll deal with it in a biblical way. Would you let us pray for you? I want you to pray for me. You need to pray for me for this one. You need to pray that I don't get clouded, that I don't find myself sucked into drama and then get clouded by it and then end up in some place I would never want to be because it can happen to the best of people. Father, there are people that need to experience breakthrough. There are people that need to experience being washed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. There are people that need to have the joy of their salvation restored. And whether they're in South County, whether they're online, or whether they're right here in this room, we're we're asking, please come and move. Come and work in that way. In Jesus' name.